0: Sometimes shows that we do kind of emerge in in a complicated way or a felicitous way or a serendipitous way. Uh, What happened here was the producer, Josh Nalea he wanted to do a show about something or some things that might be considered or labeled as endangered. And we talked about a lot of different things and we kept coming back to languages. And then Josh went away and thought about this some more and talked to some more people about this. And he came back and he said, I want to do... Uh, I want to do a show about the controversial status of American Sign Language and Braille, uh, both of which, because of changes in technology, are facing a decline and what that would mean for people who use those languages. So that's what this show is. And right now, you're listening to uh, something that we are recording in advance. We may have to edit it a little bit just for time and smoothness, but we're attempting something that we haven't attempted before, which is to interview somebody using sign language. So, and the person we're going to interview is Jeff Bravin. He is executive director of the American School for the Deaf here in West Hartford. He's also a member of the deaf community and will be speaking through his sign language interpreter, JK. So, um, Jeff, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I'm Uh looking forward to having this conversation with you today.
0: So I'm going to ask you to begin just by describing the controversy. The controversy revolves to a certain degree around something called cochlear implants. This is a relatively new technological change that allows people, in some cases who have been deaf for a long time, to hear or to hear better than they otherwise could, and also for relatively young, almost newborn children to have these cochlear implants so that uh, their hearing improves from the time of birth. Set against this are a whole set of values that kind of define the culture of the deaf community. So tell us how you see the tension between these two things cochlear implants and sign language.
1: Like any technology advancement in history, I grew up as a deaf individual but when I was young there was no captioning on TV I couldn't follow the TV programs I would you know guess at some stories and what they might be about but technology changes have always cha- people have always changed according to technology and the issue with the cochlear implants and digital hearing aids as well I should mention both are very advanced technology that help deaf individuals to hear Deaf people at first felt very threatened by this new technology, like this was going to take over everything and change deaf people. But honestly, cochlear implants have been around for more than 10 years now, and the technology changes slowly. It doesn't change overnight. But we have noticed even at our school and at other schools for the deaf around the country, there are many students with cochlear implants. In our school, we have about one-third of our population that has a cochlear implant. Bottom line is even if the implant is off, they're deaf. Mm. If the implant is on, some kids do really thrive, and they benefit from an implant. They can hear everything. But for most students that we've seen, they just hear sounds, background noises, environmental noises. They don't really hear specific sounds. And that's the reason that we're strong believers in teaching sign language so they have the benefit of both worlds, both sign language and spoken language if it does work for them.
0: Aren't there other reasons as well, reasons that are cultural reasons? My sense is that despite the fact that change has been gradual in the way that you describe, there are tensions about what happens when some high percentage of the deaf community goes through a change like this and decides, because of the cochlear implant, not to study American Sign Language. I, I mean, my sense anyway is that the argument hasn't gone away.
1: No, the argument has not gone away. I'm a deaf individual. I'm unusual and that I'm fourth-generation deaf. My parents, my grandparents were deaf, and I sign language is my first language, my natural language. So you have the technology trying to change the nature of who I am. That's where the threat came from, for many people. Many deaf individuals threatened, felt threatened by the change. People were trying to do something with the change. Who I am as a deaf individual, and God created me and made me who I am, and I want to stay who I am. I function just fine. I get along fine. So that threat is still there, and it is real. The concern among deaf individuals that parents make decision to have young children implanted without the child having any say will This work for the child. Maybe the child would like to remain deaf. Maybe the child, you know, has a a good life as a deaf individual. So that's part of the controversy as well, and it's still true today.
0: So some people, listening to what you say— would find it hard to understand. I think a lot of people assume that 100% of deaf people, given the opportunity to be no longer deaf or to have hearing and speech that were assisted by a technological implant, would make that choice, would not voluntarily choose to remain deaf. Explain why somebody might make that choice.
1: That's a very good question. Like I said, if I had a cochlear implant now, and that I would be able to speak and hear everything. Honestly, I'm not sure if I would want that because I'm happy as I am. So it's hard to really answer your question, but parents, if they have a baby, and they find out the child's deaf. Ninety-five percent of deaf children are born to hearing parents. So parents, of course, when they have a child, their child has a hearing loss or any other disability, of course the parent would do anything and everything to make their child quote-unquote normal so that they can communicate with their child as well. So if they see that there's some technology available that could make my child hear, of course they're going to go ahead and do it. And I don't blame them for that. I get that. But before they do anything, I encourage parents to understand all the ramifications and all the issues related to having an implant. I see children with implants who can speak very, very well. I see others who cannot function, even as a normal deaf child. So it has pros and cons. As an educator and a deaf parent, I encourage auditory and speech training and the learning of sign language because if one thing doesn't work, they will have language access through American Sign Language if the implant doesn't work. But let the child grow. Let the child develop language because acquisition of language happens between birth and the age of seven. They can't pick it up later on. So if you focus on that one thing, by the age of five, they will have lost all that opportunity to acquire language if you're focusing so much on spoken language only. And I think there's many people in the deaf community that feel as I do.
0: All right, we're uh, having a conversation, a remarkable conversation for me anyway, uh, with Jeff Bravin, Executive Director of the American School for the Deaf here in West Hartford. He's a member of the deaf community, and he's speaking to me through his, and to you now also, through his sign language interpreter, J.K., and this is just a, a fascinating thing to do, I think. This seems like a new argument but in some ways isn't it kind of an old argument there's been a long standing argument within the deaf community sometimes referred to as the difference between oralism or audism versus manualism this goes back to at least to alexander graham bell and you can see it in the play children of a lesser god too the question of should deaf children learn lip reading and speech And essentially mimic the behaviors of the hearing community or should they have what is essentially their own language?
1: It's been an argument for many many years and it's still an argument today. In Connecticut there are some schools that believe sign language is the best way of communicating for deaf children. There are some that believe an oral method is the best way and really right or wrong people have a choice. People have a choice which gas station they stop at Hmm. but Over the years, people who strongly believe in cochlear implants and digital hearing aids, they've had a strong influence. If you speak every day, the child will pick up language, be able to hear, and be able to speak well. And honestly, I've seen evidence where some children do succeed in that, and I've seen evidence of many children failing as well. Because our average age of a student coming to our school is the age of 14, 14 years of age and failing out of the public school of no language before people finally realize we have to send them to another school, a different place. And that's wrong. Research has already proven, especially with the visual language, visual learning, VL2 research sponsored by the National Science Foundation at Gallaudet University, they're doing brain imaging. And it proves that children acquire language visually and bilingual students outperform monolingual students. The research is there. And also they have found that children who learn sign language will not, it will not in a negative way impact their ability to learn or speak. So my question is, why have students or children being trapped in a situation where they may or may not learn, why not give them everything, access to everything, early language acquisition, so that they can become a normal child? And then one day they'll have a choice. I mean, as people, any person chooses a path that they want to conduct their life along.
0: So one of the problems with the gas station metaphor could be if 19 people went to one gas station and one person went to another. After a while, that other gas station would die out. It wouldn't have enough customers. And I would think one worry would be That American Sign Language needs a kind of critical mass of people doing it for it to be effective and also for there to be the incentive to offer it as an accommodation. For example, in some of the public appearances that I do, I have Les Warren or some other wonderful signer from the community here signing for me because it's understood. That's a necessity. There are enough people who use sign language so that it's important that they be communicated with that way. But if that number gets smaller, if it gets narrower, I would assume there'd be some nervousness about what happens if fewer people start to use ASL.
1: I think it depends on the community that you live in. If you live in Maryland, D.C. or Virginia, the community is quite large, the concept of Uh, Signing community shrinking is almost impossible, but Vermont, Maine, a place like that, some rural isolated areas, the deaf community has dwindled in numbers, and it's sad to see that happen. Here in Hartford, the community has been pretty stable. Our number of students has remained stable, Mm -hmm. and I think it depends on where you live. But people are moving where there are more signing people. They're moving to communities that have more deaf people. I don't want to say that ASL is in a decline The number of deaf and hard of hearing persons in America has gone up. If American Sign Language still is the third most used language in the United States, even in the state of Connecticut, this year I believe there were three public high schools that are starting to offer American Sign Language as a world sign language. And next year I think there's going to be eight that will be joining the bandwagon because, in fact, there's a growth of – requests for American Sign Language in this state. And there's plenty of jobs for people that know sign language out there, interpreters, educators. There are people that can help if they know sign language. And I'm not sure if American Sign Language itself is really dwindling. It just depends on where the community is. I think more and more people are moving to communities where there is a larger mass of deaf people.
0: We've been talking, uh, Jeff, mainly about American Sign Language as a technique that has educational and pedagogical consequences. It may create certain cognitive advantages by learning it. That's the kind of thing that you've been talking about. But there's another side to this, right? American Sign Language is a culture. It's a culture with not only cultural implications, but psychological and emotional implications. If I'm a hearing father, I have a deaf child, and I learn ASL to communicate with my child. A certain kind of bond take pl- takes place. Uh, a certain set of – an emotional exchange has gone on. A psychological exchange has gone on. And then we also join a culture. Not for nothing is there a play about this called Tribes. There's something there too, right? This isn't just about how well you perform educationally, how well you learn things. There's th- these other concerns are there too, right? Yeah.
1: Yes. Deaf culture is very unique. It has its own norms, its traditions, its folklore. American Sign Language is the language within the culture. And it is a culture within a culture. But when people go out, you know, it's like you are normal. I call deafness the invisible disability because if I pass by somebody in a mall, nobody would know that I was a deaf person. And... I hate using the word disability. I have my own stories. I have my own jo- jokes, as do other deaf people. We have our own ways of seeing things. We have things that hearing people view as possibly wrong. We need to change their perce- perceptions. Sometimes we make jokes out of that. but it, So that's all part of the culture. But when a child is born and deaf, for a parent to understand what the child's going through, it's best for the parent to be in the culture. And that way they can appreciate the life of a deaf individual as well.
0: Technology's moving very fast. Uh, We've talked about cochlear implants. You've made reference to digital hearing aids. But already we're carrying around smartphones in our pockets that can do all kinds of things. And they get smarter every six months and smarter every six months. And, And I wonder if we're going to be having the same conversation in five years, if there's going to be 10 new apps that do things that we're talking about right now, 10 new apps that create portable closed captioning, or I'm sure you have a better grasp of what's coming, what's in the pipeline than I do. But I'm just wondering, how fast is this moving? How fast are the changes coming?
1: It's moving faster than almost light speed, honestly. Every single solitary day, there's something that's coming up for deaf people. Right now with mobile phones, emails, video messages I can I mean if I were to send you an email you wouldn't know I was deaf unless I told unless I told you I was deaf without me telling you that you would never know. Ten years ago there was no way you know that you would have missed that but with video relay with interpreter services, I can make calls to you through an interpreter. The interpreter is probably from Texas or somewhere, but I'm using my mobile phone. I can sign to the interpreter who's in Texas or wherever the person's located, and that person calls you and speaks to you, and they sign back to me, and I can do that right on my smartphone. The new things coming up is the virtual reality. Their glasses,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you're- in the same room as the hearing person. And you can have a conversation with that person. And the interpreter is somewhere out in the world. You don't know they, where they are, but it's going to feel like a normal conversation like we're having right this minute, the, like this interpreter doesn't even exist. That's what virtual reality is going to do next. And in fact, research in a research lab, they were just talking about that there's a virtual reality where you can have a hearing, hearing person holding a baby And the hearing person will know that the baby's crying through the virtual reality. And the virtual reality will be able to teach a person through the computer to sign back to that baby to help the baby understand so the baby will calm down. Oh, my God. I would never have ever thought about this five or ten years ago. I mean, what's it going to look like in the next five or ten years they say we're going to have holograms, and they will be our interpreters. I would mean, be nice to have a lot of different holograms all over the place floating around. I don't know what it's going to be like. But that's what they're telling me it's going to be like.
0: All right, I can tell from your body language that this is, on the one hand, thrilling and exciting for you, but probably not a replacement, once again, for American Sign Language. And I'll just add to that, this is now the longest conversation I've ever had with anybody uh, using American Sign Language, and there's a humanness, there's a humanity that's, that's happening here because of your facial expressions, your body language, uh, your occasional vocalizations. There's something happening right here between the two of us that can't probably be expressed digitally. At least, I would think that you would think that. And based on what's happening here, I'm inclined to think that too.
1: You're right. It's true. For me, facial expression is critical. Even though I have an interpreter here, I'm still looking at you as well because I want to see your expression. I want to see if you're getting what I'm really trying to say because it's a very complicated issue. For some people, it takes years and years and years for people to finally get it. For other people, they get it right off the bat like you do. You get it. It's really fascinating to see where things are going to be going. And at this point, I'm very proud as a deaf person. I believe in educating deaf children. And for every baby that comes into our school, I make every effort to meet them, to introduce them to deaf culture and deafness because they are our future. And I tell people, since 1988, when Deaf President Now movement happened, There was probably only 10 deaf lawyers in the United States. Right now, there's over 300 deaf lawyers in the United States because opportunities have opened up for people. Doors have opened up, and there's more and more opportunities for deaf individuals. Some can hear well. Some can speak well. Some rely on their sign language, but the technological changes has made the world more accessible and more adaptable and accommodating.
0: We're talking to Jeff Bravin, who is executive director of the American School for the Deaf. So as the leader of a community you have another challenge and that's the challenge of leading this conversation so that it's a conversation about differences and about choices as opposed to a conversation about betrayal and a conversation about anger. And in my reading, it seems to me that it can very easily veer into that direction that some people who are deaf who use American Sign Language look at this other set of choices not as somebody going to a different gas station but as somebody fundamentally betraying a community to which they would otherwise ordinarily belong. So obviously, you don't want the conversation to unfold that way, not under the roof of your school anyway. How, how do you make it into the conversation you want it to be?
1: I think one of the issues, I just need to put this out there. Ten years ago, even when implants started, we never imagined that a deaf parent of a deaf child would actually give a deaf child a cochlear implant. We never thought of that. But it's happening today because parents see that their child can hear even to some degree. Other deaf people view this as you're doing that to a deaf child, and I can't imagine it. That's a whole other conversation. But for me, it's about language. It's about access to communication, access to the ability to understand one another. I mean, I meet parents— daily and children. And when I hear the parents say, well, I'm not sure if my child should learn to sign or my child should follow an oral method, I need to get involved in this conversation and tell them it's about language. Your child is a visual learner. Offer them both. Don't wait until you see like some of the other children coming in at the age of 11 or 12 without language because the parents chose to wait. You know, they chose to one way or the other you don't want them to look back with regrets, and that's what I try to emphasize to them. I guarantee them. I say, look at me. I sign naturally. I had my language foundation, and I started in a school for the deaf. And when I was a sophomore, I went to a public school. I was able to function there because I had that language foundation. So I say, let us be the experts. Let us provide the appropriate language foundation for your child. And this is what we'd like to do for every day, and that's going to be continue to be my challenge for
0: many years to come. So in a way, this gets back to the genesis of this show for Josh, which is looking at a language. I think for some people, looking in from the outside, American Sign Language seems at least half technique and half language. It's a technique that allows deaf people to speak, whereas for you— and I think for deaf people, it's a language. Nobody in this day and age would suggest that Navajo shouldn't ever be learned by anybody. You know, I mean, there might have been a time 125 years ago where educators would be saying, no, those kids shouldn't learn their own Navajo language. That's not the language of the outside society, of the dominant society, uh, so it should be driven out of them. It should be extirpated, and they should only learn English. I think we understand now that language is culture, culture is language, so that even if technology changes 10 years out from here, which it will. And even if the 12-year-old 10 years from now holding some device in his or her hand that we can't even imagine looks at us like, no, why would I bother to do such a thing? What you're saying is, no, language is culture. Culture is language. American Sign Language is a language. It
1: is a language. And I think it's going to be here for a very long time to come. Let me go back to the issue regarding bilingualism. Research has proven that being a bilingual person, the person is smarter. It could be French and English or Spanish and French, but once you're bilingual, you can learn more languages. I just went into your studio and I met a woman who knows sign language, and that was beautiful. Just being able to communicate with a person who just happens to know the other person's language.
0: The woman in question, I believe, was Kion Wolf. (laughs) You're right. Yes. was. So that then becomes a cultural exchange between the two of you.
1: Right. Exactly. And she knew people. She knew people that I knew because the deaf community is so small. So um, it's a warm feeling just to have that happen. You're part of my community. And I'm glad that she took the sign language classes that she
0: took. Do you think there's any of this that's generational? In other words, when I t- – I'm 61 years old. When I talk to a 12-year-old, there are all kinds of things that I either don't get or the 12-year-old thinks I don't get. And the 12-year-old is probably thinking, oh – this old man is clinging to a lot of things that are important to him they were important to him 10 15 20 years ago they're not so important now it's just nostalgia that's driving him to ascribe importance to these things do you think there's is there any part of the conversation that we're having that could be looked at through that lens
1: we as a school have been here almost 200 years. We'll be celebrating our 200th anniversary actually next year, which is hard to believe. Is it generational?